Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week, I am joined by John Vespasian, the author of Undisrupted, as well as nine other books. He's an avid historian, and he's got a lot of cool and interesting information to give. Now, a few quick highlights from the chat, as I don't want to get into too many details and bore you guys. Um, essentially, we speak about sort of John's books, and he's written, as I said, 10 different books, um, all about sort of how to live your life using rational living, which is basically how he looks at history, uh, biographies, as well as events and things, and uses them to sort of work out how best to live your life now. Um, he explains it all with many examples, and it's all incredible stuff. It, he's a very, very well-read individual, and he's got a lot to say. So there's not only that, but he speaks about, you sort of traveling, why he wrote a book, uh, why people should learn a second language. Um, he speaks about future goals, career changes, and all those sorts of things. So even if you're not necessarily interested in changing your career or having a massive sort of change in sort of where your life is going, I really recommend people check this chat out as obviously it's less than an hour long and he's just got so many great nuggets of information and at the very least it'll make you think a lot. So that's what this chat is all about. Now, before the chat gets started, there will be a quick promo for the The One Wear show. Um, so there's a link to that in the description, as well as links to John's website and John's newest book on Amazon UK. You can find it on Amazon US and France, Spain, all these other places. But you can find links to anywhere um, that you need to go with John's books and etc. on his website. So that's it for me now, guys, rambling at the start. Um, I'll be back at the end of this chat to give insight on what's coming up next, uh, as well as, you know, usual sort of jazz, follow on social media, review on iTunes, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'll be back at the end of the chat to give a bit more information on the show, a bit more of a ramble than the start of this. Um, but yeah, I'm going to stop chatting now so you can get right into it. So, you know, thanks as always for listening. I appreciate all of you and yeah, talk to you at the end. Hi, my name is Nathan Gibbons. I'm a comedian from London. And about a year ago, I thought to myself, what is the world missing? What does society need more of desperately? And the answer is obviously another comedy podcast. So listen to my listen to my show where I interview your next favorite comedians about themselves and the sitcom they have a love or hate. It's called The One Where Show. I mean, I bet you can't guess where I got that from, can you? And it's from Apple Podcasts. So it's the one-way show. I'm Nathan Gibbons. You are going to be my listeners. Thanks very much. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. And I'm joined today by John Vespasian, and it, it's a great uh, pleasure to be able to speak with you, John. I've been listening to a few podcasts that you've been on, and you've got some really, really interesting things to say that I think a lot of my listeners are going to really enjoy. So in brief, if you just want to kind of say who you are, essentially, and uh, why we're chatting, really. Yes, uh, thanks for having me on, uh, Mike. I've been writing books about uh, personal development for uh, 10 years now on one subject, one single subject, which is uh, rational living. I'll explain this uh, very briefly. What I'm doing is to go through hundreds of uh, biographies, hundreds of stories uh, from history, real people uh, who've been very successful or very unsuccessful. And I'm trying to draw in each book um, uh, principles and uh, lessons from history that uh, we can apply in our own lives uh, in real time. So these are very practical uh, lessons. The biographies I, I, I recount in the book they are usually short. I really get to the point uh, of, of each story. 
and each book is an, about a different aspect of uh, rational living, whether it's uh, how to do things in a certain sequence, uh, how to organize yourself, how to uh, uh, develop uh, your career. So uh, the latest book is called Undisrupted, Undisrupted, uh, how uh, highly effective people deal with disruptions. And obviously, as the title says, uh, it deals with uh, how to deal with disruptions in life. And I've, I've um, summarized in this book about uh, I don't know, 20 biographies of different people, different centuries, and trying to draw the principles uh, that we can use uh, today, even if some of the examples are from the Middle Ages, uh, some of them are from um, ancient history, but I think the principles of human behavior, uh, successful human behavior, uh, do not change. Mm. Well, that's a very good way of putting it. And yet you say the term uh, rational living there. And I saw it sort of uh, in a lot of your works and things, obviously, that is the sort of main key thing. Um, but when I was listening to another podcast you appeared on, and you uh, had this really interesting story, um, which kind of, I think, helps people sort of understand it a little bit more. And I'd like to hear some more of them as well. But um, there was one specifically, which is about uh, Howard Carter, the gentleman who sort of found Tutankhamun. And I wondered if you'd be uh, willing to share that story again and kind of express i know that i think that was relating to like a, a sort of a previous book but uh, the way you explained it and things i really enjoyed and i wondered if you'd be able to do that again yeah i think um this story uh i think i used it in one of my old books maybe the first or the second it shows very i think it very clearly what's the difference between uh, rational living and uh, what today is so prevalent which is this uh, theory this uh, theory of uh, what's called a law of attraction uh, positive thinking i mean this kind of stuff that uh, today is almost uh, religion and what i present in my book is something completely different i call it rational living because i emphasize the aspect of uh, rationality the aspect of uh, trying to draw uh, logical conclusions uh, trying to be motivated, but not motivated uh, foolishly, just by saying, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it, that you see uh, every day on TV, on TV, on movies. I find this uh, uh, subjective approach uh, very unrealistic, very detrimental. Uh, unfortunately, today is, uh, is very prevalent. And I use the story of Howard Carter, who was uh, an archaeologist, very famous in the 1920s, 1930s. And he was uh, British. Uh, he didn't go to school. He was self-educated. He was. He had some talent for drawing. And at a certain point, uh, he got hired to go to uh, to Egypt uh, in an expedition, uh, a scientific expedition to um, to make drawings and to make uh, records from excavations. So he was drawing, uh, learning about uh, ancient Egypt. And he was a very curious guy. I mean, he was really uh, willing to learn. He learned um, to read uh, ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. He taught himself, actually. He read books. Uh, he was around uh, uh, with uh, small jobs uh, for a long time. And eventually, uh, he developed the idea, which actually made him uh, very famous and very wealthy, that uh, there was uh, the tomb, the remains, and the, actually the, um, the treasure of one uh, pharaoh still undiscovered. And in the 1920s, um, you have to realize people have been digging in Egypt uh, for centuries, for thousands of years. I mean, there have been rovers of uh, tombs uh, since the ancient Greek time. And it was a profession. I mean, people actually were digging uh, every centimeter, trying to get uh, all gold and all kinds of uh, treasures. And when uh, Carter came in the 1920s with the theory that there is one missing, I made the check, I counted the pharaohs, there is one missing, and I'm going to find it. 
Uh, he was not a professor, he was not a doctor, he was not a historian. So people told him that uh, he was crazy. And even if he had been working in the um, excavation business, so to speak, uh, for more than a decade, uh, he was just uh, a, a guy who uh, developed his own ideas and without any support from institutions, without any support from uh, newspapers, from, I mean, he was basically alone. And the story is fascinating because um, eventually he found uh, the tomb of Tutankhamun, he became very wealthy, uh, he became world famous, he made a uh, huge um, uh, dent in, uh, in the science of uh, ancient Egypt. Uh, the idea is how is it possible that this guy uh, who was making holes on the ground 14 years, I mean, after uh, making holes on the ground 14 years, he didn't find anything until the very end when he was running out of money. And he managed uh, to convince uh, an English um, aristocrat to, um, to finance his excavations, to sponsor excavations. He managed to get uh, a contract uh, from the Egyptian uh, government, well, Egyptian, it was uh, the French-English uh, government, uh, to get 50% of the foundings. And he managed to do so alone against uh, massive uh, criticism from newspapers, uh, people were laughing at him. He was isolated. Uh, you have to realize it's very, uh, it's a very miserable life. I mean, to be in, in the north or south of Egypt uh, in the in the winter when it's very very hot is really. I mean, you have to be super motivated. Imagine 14 years uh, making holes on the ground and not finding anything. And he he was motivating himself. And I found the story super interesting because the difference between this positive thinking that uh, you hear every day in movies, uh, on the radio, and on TV, the difference between the, this uh, insane delusion and what uh, Carter was doing in the 1920s is huge because Carter had actually checked the sources. He had been checking the inscriptions on, on different temples, and he actually put together a theory that was based on facts. He was the only one who had managed to check uh, different uh, inscriptions in different parts of Egypt, and he actually counted uh, the tombs that were found, and he came to the conclusion that was based on facts, there was one missing. Nobody had found it, but uh, Carter was convinced that uh, it was a great pharaoh, had a great fortune. He has to be somewhere. So eventually he developed a very scientific way to do it. He, uh, he drew uh, squares on a map, and he made every week uh, uh, about one meter he was digging one meter per week so he actually uh, dug almost a whole valley and eventually he found it at the very last minute and the the, the motivation that he was able to sustain uh, 14 years is unbelievable I and mean, you have to realize it's like i don't know you want to do something and uh, you work on your own 14 years and everybody's telling you you're crazy you're crazy you're crazy and then he eventually did it and this is the kind of stories I find fascinating because they're not based on delusion. They're not based on, on fantasy. It is based on facts. And uh, uh, Carter uh, was able to sustain his motivation against the whole world and to convince a few people uh, to, to uh, support him because he had the facts. And this is something that I underline in my books. You have to be uh, motivated. You have to work. But you have to be rational. Because if you uh, fall into the trap of positive thinking, uh, law of attraction, and all this kind of nonsense, you might be uh, going in the wrong direction 14 years, 
and you will not realize because you will have nothing to do with reality. It's just dreams. Uh, and the stories I present in the book underline that you have to be rational, you have to check the facts, and this is the way to become successful. Don't trust uh, luck, don't, don't place uh, your future in the hands of, uh, of serendipity. Be rational, check the facts. I think this is something we have to learn from history. Mm. You put that together expertly, and I, you know I completely agree with you. It is a lot of the. I think you mentioned it in previous uh, podcasts as well, which is one of the issues with a lot of the time is just you know have have a positive attitude and everything will just come to you and write down your goals and everything will come to you. And it's like, well, there's so much more to it than just, you know, that sort of thing. And one thing that you actually mentioned, which um, I'm inclined to agree with actually, is um, you mentioned previously that uh, you you don't necessarily agree with people specifically writing down like goals, like people who are successful. So I wonder if you could sort of elaborate on your sort of thinking in that regard. Yeah, this is another uh, myth of um, a contemporary psychology that uh, encourages people to write the goals, to make a plan, a five-year plan, and to try to increase their uh, uh, results every week or every month. It's I don't know, like preparing for a marathon, and then you check uh, your performance every day, and, and you try to reach the target. In most cases, people become demotivated after a certain time because it's very difficult uh, to have this kind of uh, a straight line, uh, 14 years, 20 years, 30 years, especially because uh, when you're trying to develop a vision of uh, what you want to do, and you are, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years old, even 50 years old, uh, for most people, it's very difficult to, uh, to uh, fix uh, themselves on a specific goal because you don't have enough information. If you like uh, computers, for instance, or you like uh, music, or you like uh, whatever, theater, uh, you have an idea of what you like. But uh, whether you become a, an actor, a director, a producer, uh, a literary agent, you don't know, you know, because until you get into the real business, uh, you will not find the opportunity, you don't have the information. You might combine uh, your interest in theater with uh, music and then you produce something else. I mean, you don't know because uh, you don't have the information. There is a learning curve. And what I've learned by studying this biography history different, uh, in different books is that uh, most successful people and successful in terms of uh, not only money, but in terms of uh, satisfaction with their profession, in terms of uh, friendships, in terms of, uh, I would say, general lifestyle. Most uh, successful people don't have specific goals. They have a very strong sense of direction. And they know what they like. I say, okay, I like theater, I like music, I like uh, media, and I want, to be, I want to have my own show. They have a, 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 an area of interest uh, which for most people is very obvious because you know what you like, you know what you don't like. I mean, obviously, when you go to school and you hate mathematics, and uh, next year you still hate mathematics, uh, most likely you will not be very enthusiastic about uh, engineering. And this is obvious, and then you have to find something else. But don't ask people uh, who are 20 years old, 30 years old, to say, okay, what do you want to do exactly? Do you want to be the CEO of uh, General Motors or, or, I don't know, Apple, whatever? This is total nonsense. I mean, this approach of having very specific goals to have a plan, very specific plan, is nonsense. Because most people don't have enough information. You learn as you go. What is very important and you find in almost every successful career is a sense of direction. To have uh, an area of interest, to have uh, curiosity for something, to have uh, a, an attachment uh, to a certain place 
to a certain uh, network of people. And eventually this becomes a business. Eventually this becomes a way of life. But uh, I think that uh, thinking in terms of specific goals uh, for most people is, uh, is a complete waste of time. Yeah, and I think what you speak to there, uh, especially for someone who's uh, in my sort of generation, I mean, I'm 25 years old, so quite a lot of the younger ones. But and a lot of people I know, including myself, when we were in sort of college or any other uh, education, it, it was never, oh, generally, where would you like to go? It was, what specific job do you want to do? As I, it's, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know. So at such a young age, especially, you have no idea what you want. And I know I've got older brothers who are like 20 years older than me and things like that. So I've, I've interacted with quite a few people of varying ages throughout my life, uh, not just just as a child or an adult and things, but you know what I mean. And one thing that I found was there's people who are like 30, 40, even 50 years old who get to a point in their career and they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is never what I wanted to do. And they have a complete change of how where they want to sort of go. And I think that what you're trying to sort of... Um, convey in both your writing and a lot of what you've been saying is obviously yeah go for what you like have a sense of direction walk in a general path but don't don't beat yourself up if you don't have sort of the exact precise thing down because it's ridiculous and when you potentially fail or if anything sort of slips up on the way to this really specific goal it will only hurt your confidence rather than if you have a general direction if things don't go exactly as planned you can kind of uh, career adjust you, uh, you can sort of the, the path that you're going on you can adjust it to make sure you're kind of still on the path but if you have one specific thing and you're rigid in that then you're not going to achieve anything uh, when you go through uh, biographies of hundreds of people, uh, you see the patterns. And uh, okay, what you're saying is true to a certain extent, but when you see these people who are, I don't know, 50 or 40 and they want to do something else and they want to change, in most cases, it's very, very difficult to start from scratch and to do something completely different. And I, I, I think this is a rare case when you see successful people who are, I don't know, who are doing A. And then uh, when they are 50, they start to do something completely unrelated and they get into a different market and they become successful. This is so un un unusual that uh, it could go into the, in the front page of the newspapers because it happens very, very seldom. What does happen very often is that uh, people are using their skills or their interests in some area and then they find uh, another area where they can use the same skills. And this is something different. It's not that uh, they throw everything away and say, oh, I'm going to be a new person. No, 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 no. It's the same person. It's just finding a different market or a different application or a different uh, speed or a different technology. Let me just give you an example from the latest book. Please do. I told the story of uh, Joseph Paxton, who was actually a British uh, Englishman, a, a gardener, uh, who eventually became an architect. And he designed the, um, uh, the, great, uh, the hall for the great exhibition. And to go from a gardener, I mean, the guy didn't even go to school. I mean, he was he started to work at uh, 14 as an assistant gardener, and eventually he became a head gardener in a big, um, uh, um, uh, I think it was in the in near Manchester or something. I mean, it was a, quite a big uh, estate, and he was uh, planting trees and, and this kind of stuff. And how did this guy become a famous uh, designer and architect? And he, he built uh, um, uh, country houses for the Rothschild family. How did he do it? Well, very, very slowly, he developed his skills as a gardener. He was, uh, he was very curious about uh, learning. He learned, he read magazines, he learned all kinds of stuff because he was ambitious, but he was not educated. He could, he could not actually write very well. He could, I mean, he, has, he also had a very strong accent. Uh, I was a low-class accent because he never went to school. But eventually, he started to, um, to experiment with glass houses, which was a big uh, innovation in the 
in the 19th century. He built a small glass house in a garden. It was a disaster because he almost fell apart. But he learned a bit to put together uh, glass panes with structures. And he built a bigger one and then a bigger one. And eventually, uh, he was quite uh, an expert in building uh, glass houses. I mean, he, did, he didn't make a lot of money, but it was quite spectacular when people visited this, uh, this estate and the, in, the, in, the, in the winter. Uh, they have these big uh, glass houses. They could take a walk inside. They had exotic plants. And um, uh, when uh, Paxton tried to develop his skills, it took him almost 20 years because he was trying to find an outlet for his skills. Uh, he tried to write articles for magazines. He started uh, his own uh, uh, gardening magazine. He didn't make a lot of money. He tried to get a better job, and he couldn't manage. So he tried different things. And eventually, uh, he saw an advertisement, um, a call for tender uh, to build this, uh, this building in, uh, in London. In, in, it was in Hyde Park, because they wanted to, to have this uh, exhibition. And it was a universal exhibition. And they wanted to put up a building that was very light, has to be put together very quickly for a very low cost, and it has to be dismantled also very quickly. And uh, there was this uh, call for tender. Uh, many architects uh, sent designs, but they were too expensive or they were too slow. And then this, uh, this gardener said, okay, maybe we can build a big glass house. I built already quite uh, a number of glass houses. So he made a design and he wanted to send it, but he realized nobody was going to take him seriously because he was a gardener. And he did something very clever, combining his previous skills. Because he has been write, he had been writing uh, articles for newspapers about gardening in the Times, in uh, I don't know, I don't know, a few newspapers. So he knew a, be, uh, a few um, editors. So he sent his design to the newspapers, his huge glass house. that was very cheap to build. And he also sent it uh, to the uh, call for tender. And since uh, it has been published in newspapers, because they found it very weird, and people say, oh, this is really amazing. How could you build such a big, big house? So eventually, they could not throw it out, even if he was a gardener, because uh, the whole uh, country was talking about it. And uh, he actually got the contract. He had never built uh, anything so big, but he got a contract. And he built it uh, under budget. He built it uh, ahead of time. He built it for six months. Eventually, it was used for 40 years. I mean, it was the most uh, profitable business possible in the history of England. This guy, uh, he was very creative. He was able to fix uh, the leakages because the problem with glass houses is that it's very difficult to, uh, to prevent the rain from getting in because you cannot really fit the glasses very, very easily to the, to the paint, to the uh, structure. And he put, he used putty that you use um, for putting together uh, uh, stones, but he used it for, for glasses very creatively. And he built it super quickly. I mean, the guy was uh, really a genius uh, of uh, standardization. And after that, he became so famous that uh, he got uh, contracts for building country houses for the Rothschild family. So you see, he was using his skills in different areas, but he was always the same. He was a bit of gardening, a bit of uh, glass houses, a bit of uh, marketing, a bit of writing. And eventually he put it all together. And this is the, what I've seen in history. This is the best kind of careers. Because you just build, 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 and eventually you take off. And he didn't take a lot of risk. Because you have to realize that in the 19th century, if you lost your job, it was very difficult uh, to get back on your feet. Because you couldn't get the um, letter of introduction. I mean, it was really very formal. And this guy did it very carefully. 
he experimented here, he experimented there, and eventually got uh, an opportunity. This is the best type of career. Uh, even if you have to, uh, to try different things for 10 years, it is very safe, it is very low cost, and it is very sustainable. You don't have to do uh, crazy things, you don't have to, uh, to quit uh, your job overnight to start, uh, I don't know, some uh, social media company, whatever. Uh, uh, in history, this is the best example. Uh, don't do crazy things uh, just because you see it on the, on the news. Because, yeah, some people can do that. They can quit the job and start uh, a social media company. But uh, the, the chances of success are very low. Yeah, well, exactly that. And you know, sort of leading on from that sort of point, um, keeping in the same, obviously, sort of theme, um, I want to ask uh, more specifically with your, your newest uh, book. It's called Undisrupted. And... Um, I want to ask sort of a term that comes up because I, I looked on it on a few websites and things and I read um, some of the parts of it in on Amazon, that sort of thing. And one thing that comes up is sort of uh, the term of dealing with disruptions. And I wondered if you could sort of explain a little bit more of, of what you mean by sort of the dis- disruptions and also how one would sort of deal with them in, in, a, in a sense. Yeah. The way I use the word, the term disruption in the book is very wide. I am not talking about little things like, I don't know, you lose, you miss the train or something, which is, okay, nonsense in the end. It doesn't have any impact, any long-term impact. I'm talking about big things. I mean, people when people uh, uh, lose their jobs, uh, they get a divorce, they fall severely sick, uh, they have really to, uh, to stop working. I mean, really big disruptions that uh, in most cases can, can, uh, can wipe you out. Huh? Some people really uh, are completely destroyed when they... Um, they, uh, they cannot work or they, they get uh, very sick. So what I've done is to go through uh, many biographies and to try to draw this, the, the, the principles, the, um, the patterns of people who uh, do very well with disruptions. And I can tell you one of the principles. Uh, I, in the book, I, I, I present uh, about 10 principles uh, from different stories, from different uh, examples. But there is a pattern that uh, you've seen almost uh, every story, which is the following. Uh, people who do very well uh, when they get uh, disrupted, because uh, in life, uh, sooner or later, you get uh, in trouble. I mean, it could be a sickness, could be an accident. Uh, maybe you are working very hard, but uh, your company goes bankrupt. Anything could happen. And everybody is going to get, uh, sooner or later, some major disruptions. Uh, people who do very well in times of disruption, uh, you see the pattern in history. These are people who uh, fall back on their key skills. They fall back on something they know very well. Uh, they fall back in a, in a lifestyle uh, that is working easily for them. Uh, they fall back on uh, friendships they have for 20 years, 30 years. Uh, they fall back on a territory, on, a, on an area they know very well and they can really uh, survive there very easily. Uh, and you see the opposite pattern uh, in people who destroy their lives. Uh, uh, the book starts with an example of um, a great industrialist. His, his name was uh, Savan Mamontov. Uh, he was a very famous industrialist in Russia in the um, uh, uh, early uh, 20th century, late 19th century. And he was building uh, railroads in, in Russia. It's a bit uh, the, um, uh, the greatest uh, uh, railroad uh, um, uh, investor in, in, in Russia before the revolution, before the communists. Uh, this guy was super intelligent. I mean, he could speak several languages. 
uh, highly educated. Uh, he had studied in France, uh, in the Sorbonne. He uh, had developed uh, almost from scratch a huge company and was building uh, railroads from Moscow to the east. Uh, he made a fortune and he was a celebrity. It uh, was like uh, in the newspapers all the time. He had a, a great uh, house in Moscow. He had a country, side, a country house. He had a, a very large uh, art collection. Uh, he destroyed his life within a year. And the story is very interesting because it shows the pattern of what you shouldn't do. And he had this big company with big success. And he got the idea, and you see this today very often uh, when you see the news, that uh, he wanted to do something else. He was a bit bored, maybe he was too successful. Uh, he wanted to, to do something else, and he started uh, a steel mill. Uh, he wanted to produce steel for the uh, railway because he was buying from someone else, but he wanted to do himself. Uh, he thought he could do anything. He uh, was used to running a, a very large company, and he thought, okay, that, I mean, it has to be very easy to produce steel. Anybody can do it. Uh, he created a foundry, and uh, he started to lose money very quickly. He didn't realize it was so complicated. Uh, it's not so, I mean, there are different technologies. Uh, he didn't know uh, anything about steel. So he started to lose money very quickly after a year or so, and he was losing a large amount of money. And uh, what did he do? And this is the fundamental mistake uh, that people make uh, when they deal with disruptions. Instead of saying, I made a mistake, I cut my losses, I closed this, uh, this uh, horrible company and, and go back to my uh, main business, I fall back on my skills, I fall back on my, on my main uh, business uh, line, he made a fundamental mistake. He started to improvise. Uh, he started to get money from the uh, railroad uh, to pay for the losses of the um, steel mill. This was a huge mistake because his uh, bondholders, his investors, immediately they found he was uh, taking money from, from their pockets. Uh, they sued him and he was prosecuted uh, for embezzlement. Uh, eventually he didn't go to jail, but he lost everything. He lost his fortune, he lost his art collection, he lost his houses. And for the last uh, 13 years of his life, he lived in total misery. Uh, his friends uh, wouldn't talk to him. Nobody, I mean, he was really an outcast of society. He was a, 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 a fall from grace. Uh, it was horrible. And you have to realize that this happens very often. And you see very often people who make a fortune as uh, um, I don't know, a Hollywood star, and then he uses the money for, I mean, he's investing in restaurants and he loses everything. And then you see this uh, basketball player who makes also millions and then he invests in, I don't know, some stupid uh, gold mine and he loses everything. This is a pattern you see in uh, people who, who, um, who lose. The best way to deal with disruptions is to fall back on your basic skills. If you improvise, like uh, Mamontov uh, did in Russia, uh, chances are you will lose everything because uh, there is a learning curve for everything. And uh, the, the, the most stupid mistake that uh, we tend to do uh, as human beings is um, uh, to generalize and to say, oh, I can do A, automatically I can do B, and it's not true. There is a learning curve. And when you're in a state of crisis and when you're in, in, in panic and you have to deal with uh, severe problems, with disruptions, do not improvise. 
do not go through the learning curve. It's not the right moment. Uh, fall back to your basic skills, to your basic uh, friendships, to your basic um, uh, profession, and you will do very well. You will recover. But if you improvise, uh, you put the odds against you, uh, most likely you will not make it. And uh, I didn't find a single example in history uh, where people do well by improvising. You could be lucky uh, once in a while, but it's not, it's not a reliable strategy. And when you see these uh, stupid movies, uh, Hollywood movies, where you see these heroes who have no skills, they don't know how to fight, they have no military training, and they can do uh, 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 amazing things. I mean, this is so ridiculous and unrealistic that uh, it's a shame. It's a shame uh, because they, they, these just like uh, stories for uh, five years old. They, they are not uh, uh, credible. And it's a pity that uh, we get this pattern of uh, total fantasy uh, day after day because it gives people a very unrealistic uh, view of life. And this explains why so many people are depressed because they get this total fantasy idea that, uh, okay, you can do anything without any training, without any preparation. You can improvise. Just do it. Just do it. And this is nonsense. So what I try to do in my books is to make people a little bit more rational, a little bit more realistic because it works to their advantage. Mm. And I think what, what you do with um, with your books is obviously the way that you uh, intertwine you know, rational thinking and things along with all the lessons from history is, I mean, I'm not sure that I've seen anyone actually do that before in this sort of part of the, the sort of genre of writing that you're sort of uh, inside. So what I want to ask is, was there like a, a specific moment that made you realize I need to start writing books? Because I think uh, Undisrupted was your uh, 10th book, if I'm correct. So obviously when you wrote your first book, then was there like a, a moment that made you realize you sort of no one had kind of connected the dots like you had? Um, it was a process. It's not uh, an overnight uh, decision. But I remember distinctly when I wrote my first book, and I did it over a holiday. I think it was a four-week period. And I was particularly frustrated uh, because I always been uh, reading, uh, I mean, a lot. I, I'm a voracious reader for, for years. And at a certain point, I was very frustrated with the kind of books I could find because I read a lot about uh, marketing, finance, uh, personal development, uh, philosophy. I have to say, uh, most books you find in the market, they are so unrealistic that they piss me off. They're so uh, superficial, fluffy, delusional, that uh, at a certain point I thought, okay, maybe I can do something better because this is really pathetic. And you cannot really find uh, alternatives. It's like a trend that uh, completely dominates the market. People like to read this book. It's a bit like a drag because they, they uh, preach uh, fantasy, uh, I don't know, magic and this kind of stuff. And in the end, of course, they don't work because it's, it's pure nonsense, but uh, it's like, uh, I don't know, uh, cocaine or, or, or it's a drag. And uh, I started to write books, I have to say, out of pure frustration because I could not find the kind of books I wanted to read. Very factual, based on history, based on common sense, based on principles, and above all, uh, based on reason. Because uh, the, I, I tell you, the, 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 the amount of nonsense you, you see in these uh, uh, books about psychology and personal development is, is, is astonishing. I mean, uh, people are so unrealistic and they take a personal anecdote uh, that is completely meaningless and they try to blow this up into, uh, to blow this into a huge uh, theory of the universe. I mean, it's, it's nonsense. So what I'm trying to do to a modest uh, extent 
uh, is to try to, 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 to show people that if you become a little bit more rational, I mean, you don't have to become a robot, just to become 1%, 2% uh, more rational, to try to be a little bit more uh, thoughtful in your decisions, it makes a huge difference in the long term because uh, you make every day uh, your life a little bit better uh, with little things. Could be your habits, your, your nutrition habits, could be your, your uh, sports uh, habits, could be whatever. You improve a little bit uh, every day, every week. Uh, in 10, 20 years, the difference will be huge. And it's difficult to, uh, to internalize uh, the long-term uh, consequences of little things. Like, I don't know, imagine that instead of drinking soda, some people are completely addicted to drinking um, uh, sugar drinks, these uh, carbonated drinks. Instead of drinking these sodas, you just drink herbal tea. I mean, it's a very simple habit. If you go into, uh, into history, which is one of the, uh, the patterns I really go into my books about uh, ancient medicine, I find very interesting to see uh, how people stayed healthy in um, ancient Rome and ancient uh, uh, Greece, uh, where the technology was, was low, but they knew a lot about habits, about uh, really staying healthy, and people actually lived uh, quite, quite long. Uh, if they didn't get uh, killed in war, but uh, you see these philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, uh, I mean, they actually grew very old in their 80s, 90s. It's astonishing. And you see the habits. And the, the question I mentioned is just the herbal tea. This is something you find, uh, you find it in Hippocrates, uh, you find it in Galen, uh, you find it in different writings from uh, 2,000 years ago, or 25 uh, centuries, uh, some of them. Uh, it's a very simple habit. But uh, to get into your head that uh, you just quit drinking uh, sodas and you start drinking uh, herbal tea, um, it will change your life. Eventually, it will have a big impact. But uh, to actually uh, grasp uh, the consequences is not easy because it's a long-term uh, consequence. It is something that uh, it looks like a little thin, but it's not a little thin. And this is why I try to, uh, to explain in my books uh, to be a little bit more rational. You don't have to become a robot. You don't have to become a computer. Just be a little bit more rational. It will make a huge difference. Mm, yeah. And, and, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people can get behind because they find that, you know, a lot, as you've uh, rightly said, you know, a lot of these books, you go into it and it says, okay, change every aspect of your life immediately. Just, you know, throw all these things away and write a giant big thing and make a giant plan of everything you want to do and then do everything you can. To, and it can become so overwhelming, especially for people who, if you want to change your life and if you're unhappy, then doing an absolutely gigantic change can be such a a big thing to do that doing these sort of small incremental changes one at a time in a sense it, it makes it not seem like you're doing anything but as you've rightly stated they have such big ripples and consequences that they can really change someone's life for for the better and um what I want to ask you about a little bit is as well and um, I'm aware that you sort of obviously you're very well read as you've uh, rightly pointed out um you've had a lot of experience sort of traveling the world I just want to touch on that just a, a little bit I, I want to ask sort of where you've been uh, across the world? Because obviously, I think you're from uh, the Netherlands, if that's correct. Yeah, okay. I lived in um, in France, uh, in Spain, uh, Germany. I visited uh, Russia in the last years mm. uh, a couple of times, which is super interesting. I think most people have a very uh, weird idea about Russia. Uh, they mm. should actually go and take a look because it's fascinating and it's very, very close by. I mean, it's a flight of three hours. Um, I've been a few times in the U.S., 
but mostly I'm European. So uh, Europe, Europe, I know pretty well. I've been around, mm. uh, especially Southern Europe, uh, very, very uh, often in different countries. And um, I think uh, people should actually travel more uh, and uh, learn other languages. And this is something that I, I preach in every, uh, almost every interview, every podcast to say, come on, learn the second language. It's so easy uh, to learn Spanish or to learn uh, French or to learn German. It's very easy and it's very inexpensive. I mean, you can learn almost for free. Uh, you get the PDF uh, for free on internet. You get uh, courses on YouTube. It's very easy to learn the second language. The problem again, is that it's going to take you some time. It's going to take you, maybe you spend 10 minutes a day, just 10 minutes a day, everybody can spare 10 minutes a day. After three years, you will speak French, you will speak uh, German, or you will speak uh, Russian, whatever. And it will make a difference in your life. You cannot realize uh, the number of opportunities that are going to open. Uh, many things that you cannot see uh, because they're in a different language. Uh, and this happens very often when people look I mean, imagine you look at something written in German and you don't speak German. Automatically, your brain stops. You just say, okay, it's German. I don't understand. I don't know what it is. Or Russian. Uh, uh, from the moment you start to understand, or French, which is very close. I mean, come on, France is next to the UK. I mean, you could learn uh, French uh, You could learn French um, uh, relatively easy. I mean, you can travel to France for, I don't know, 40 pounds or something. I mean, it's ridiculously uh, cheap, but it takes effort. And what it really takes effort is the motivation. Because it's something is not short term. It's going to make a big difference in your life. You will enjoy life more because you will see um, uh, different uh, cultural experiences, like going to uh, Paris or going to uh, the south of France and speaking actually French and being able to understand many things. It will enrich your life. Uh, I think it, it will also make you uh, better in your profession. Uh, it will make you certainly, uh, if you invest money, a better investor because you will have uh, more information. And the investment of time on, uh, and uh, money is very low. I mean, people kind of realize you can learn the second language almost for free. Uh, now, instead of listening to, I don't know, to uh, music in the car when you're commuting, uh, put a CD and learn some French, learn some Spanish. It's very easy to learn Spanish. It's a very easy language. Um, it will make a difference in your life. But still, um, I understand that uh, people are skeptical. Oh, it's very difficult. I will never make it. No, it is not true. Uh, people were learning languages in the 19th century. You have to realize, um, uh, one of my books uh, is about uh, Schliemann, who was an archaeologist. Uh, he was, uh, he was uh, learning himself uh, languages. Uh, he developed a method uh, to learn languages in the, in the 19th century without any uh, help. And eventually he was able to speak uh, uh, seven languages fluently. Uh, he was a guy without any education. He uh, had to quit school when he was uh, eight years old. And it is possible. I mean, people have been doing this for centuries. Um, the problem is that uh, we get used to this uh, short-term satisfaction. The Twitter, the uh, Facebook the likes, the, uh, I don't know, whatever, which is, uh, is, is a drag, is, is a excitement uh, minute by minute. And uh, to read a book, uh, to learn a different language, uh, to get uh, qualification as a engineer or a candidate, it takes effort, it takes a few years, but uh, the enrichment of your life will be huge, especially when the investment is so low. You don't realize how cheap it is, 
how easy it is to learn the second language if you put every day 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, um, my partner, uh, Megan, um, she's been on the podcast before. Um, she's actually a languages teacher and she speaks four languages. Her uh, her dad's side of the family is Italian. So she speaks all these languages. And at the moment, I only speak like a little bit of French and a tiny bit of everything else. And I'm trying to learn Italian. And that's basically, she said to me, she said, little and often, just, you know, don't sit there and spend eight hours trying to learn Italian because nothing's going to go in. But if you every day learn a little bit piece by piece, eventually it will work. And I've heard that so many benefits of speaking other languages of course what you've stated and you know going to other places and learning about other cultures but it also changes the brain chemistry it, it literally changes how you sort of learn and think and things and it can be so beneficial especially for children and um i know we're sort of uh, getting towards the end of the time so I, I won't keep you too much longer but I, I did want to ask as well um obviously you're so into history and things and you know so many uh, incredibly interesting stories um is there like a specific time period uh, that really that you love more than any that really calls out to you that you just can't get enough of well uh, certainly the 19th century i think is uh, is fascinating because there were no borders uh when you see mm. uh, we are talking about um, the period until uh, the first world war uh, 19th century. I mean, you have to realize. You read, for instance, the um, the uh, biography of Agatha Christie, uh, the uh, mystery writer. I mean, she was traveling to uh, Egypt. She was traveling to Iraq. She was traveling to um, to Mesopotamia. To uh, I mean, because her her husband was uh, an archaeologist, and she was traveling around. I mean, come on, there were no borders. Uh, people carried the passport. There were no visas. It was super easy. Uh, I find this fascinating because uh, uh, now people are terrorized about uh, immigration. And it seems to be that uh, there's a paranoia. Oh, my God, they're coming here, that uh, taking away their jobs. I mean, you have to realize that uh, until very recently, this was seen as an enrichment, that uh, people come from other countries, they bring their skills, they bring their motivation, they create uh, wealth, uh, they increase our standard of living. And this is the case for centuries. Uh, this is one of the keys of the prosperity of uh, the US and Europe. There was a lot of immigration. Uh, people when they are highly motivated to start a business, to start a new life, to, to get things better. And now we are terrorized. In the 21st century, it seems that uh, we get a guy from across the border or from, uh, from a different city. I mean, he's like an, an, a threat and he's going to uh, destroy our livelihood. And uh, it is complete nonsense. I mean, we have gone down uh, intellectually uh, in this respect uh, it is deplorable. So I find the 19th century fascinating because you see uh, people from different countries moving. You see many Russians uh, living in Paris and many Europeans going to Russia. It was uh, at that time it was a normal European country. And uh, you see this uh, mentality of trading, investing, uh, having houses in different countries. It was normal. And now it is becoming like I don't know, like uh, paranoia. Uh, to deal with foreigners. I think uh, we have the love to learn from the 19th century, especially this vision of uh, individual freedom. Uh, I think people today, uh, for lack of historical knowledge, uh, they are becoming very narrow-minded, uh, very fearful of uh, change, and they don't realize that uh, without uh, freedom, without traveling, uh, without uh, an influx of uh, motivation from different countries, different people, uh, we become a stagnant, we become a, a dying culture, a dying continent, and this is the last thing we want. We want uh, to continue to grow, we want to have uh, innovation, we want to have uh, better opportunities, and uh, we should not be fearful 
of uh, traveling or uh, people coming uh, looking for a better job. It is normal. It has always happened in history, and this is one of the keys to prosperity. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more on that point. I mean, traveling is one of those things I've always said to people is that you need to go out and experience not just for other people's cultures and that sort of thing, but it's it's like a breath of fresh air for your mind and your body. It's, it's, it's incredible when you go to so many different countries that, you know, we're all people at the end of the day, but how just slight differences can make such beautiful works of art and incredible architecture. I mean, my favorite thing is, is architecture. I love churches and mosques and castles and all that sort of other stuff. So some of the things that you can see that there's something for everyone if you travel. And I agree with you with the, the immigration thing, you know, some of the, the greatest countries are the greatest countries, uh, air quotes, greatest countries, uh, because of the, the culmination of different cultures coming together and getting the best of all the different cultures rising up and making something better than the sum of their individual parts. And I, I want to ask as well, uh, briefly, is... Are you optimistic for the future um, or do you think it's going to get better before it gets worse or just generally what, what do you think is sort of going to happen with society as such a ma massive historian? Yeah, I'm uh, very optimistic and I think it's not uh, wishful thinking, it's not delusion. Uh, when you read the newspapers every day, uh, it's easy to become depressed because you, you see all kind of nonsense and people making stupid decisions. Uh, but if you look at the big picture, uh, it's very positive. Uh, you see the number of uh, people uh, creating companies uh, today, not only in the US or and uh, Europe, uh, everywhere. People, they create internet companies in, in Latvia, in China, in South America, uh, with a very low investment, and sometimes they become very successful. And this spirit, this spirit of uh, entrepreneurship, uh, I think is now is universal. It used to be something that you had only in the US and uh, Europe, I mean, Australia. Now you have it in Korea, you have it in Japan, you have it uh, in uh, India. Uh, this is a very positive trend. It's a trend which is not reported uh, everyday newspapers, but I think it's a change of, uh, of conscience in humanity. People realize uh, they have to uh, create things, they have to produce, they have to become uh, self-reliant. And this makes me very optimistic because I think the trend cannot be changed. Uh, uh, even in countries that are authoritarian, that uh, people are uh, looking for freedom, you still have uh, this uh, entrepreneurial spirit uh, in, in, in a great part of the population uh, because they, they watch uh, TV, they watch uh, uh, news, they realize that uh, the only way to progress is uh, by creating companies, by creating jobs, by producing. And this is not going to change. I think it's uh, something that in history uh, people have changed. They have realized you cannot uh, create prosperity just by complaining. You have to actually do something. You have to create Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe you just do uh, whatever. I mean, just a little thing every day. But the, the mentality of uh, entrepreneurship, the mentality of production, of uh, innovation, of taking initiative, I think is now uh, widespread in most countries. Some people have, of course, stupid ideas about economics, but okay, this has always happened in history. Uh, but uh, what we have in the 20th century is thousands and thousands of people starting new companies. Uh, incorporating companies uh, um, uh, for a very uh, low investment, I don't think this is going to change. This trend is most um, uh, well-established. Uh, it is more uh, solid than any uh, bad news you can find in the, in the, on the front page of the newspapers today. It's a very solid historical trend. It is unreported, 
but uh, it makes me very optimistic. I think that uh, the level of entrepreneurship in the next century, in the next decades, uh, will continue to grow. It will solve uh, problems that uh, nowadays with people become hysterical about the environment and whatever. Uh, they will solve problems. They will find uh, entrepreneurial solutions. They will find business solutions uh, to solve uh, problems about pollution, uh, problems about uh, emissions, whatever. Uh, businessmen, entrepreneurs will find solutions. This makes me very optimistic. And I think we should look at the big picture and to try to remain motivated every day and not pay uh, too much attention uh, to the daily nonsense uh, we see on the news. <laughs> I completely agree with you there. And, and I'm very happy to hear someone who's as well read and as clearly as intelligent as yourself is also optimistic. I, I generally am optimistic as well. People do piss me off quite a lot. But generally, I try and see the good in people and the, the positives that's going on. So it's really good to hear uh, someone as well read as yourself uh, expressing a similar opinion. Uh, and, and just before I let you go, um, I'll make sure that I include sort of a, a link to your website and all the any of the things that you wish uh, in the description so people can come and find your work and things. But I thought, um, as we come to the end here uh sort of your final word something that you just want to sort of tell any of the listeners it can be about yourself the world or, or anything at all just before we sort of close up yeah if you uh pick up one idea from the interview today uh would like just to remember this thing when you have to make decisions in life when you have to um to see uh what you're going to do and you don't know exactly what to do and then you are confused and you are uh sometimes uh, depressed because you are experiencing a setback uh, you have to take the right perspective. And the right perspective is to think in terms of a lifetime. This is something I underline in my books. Uh, don't think in a, in a short period and you think for next week and on, on, on the next month because you might become very depressed if you are going through a bad period. If you, get, if you lose your job and then say, oh, I lost my job, I what I want to do. And then people become almost suicidal. It's ridiculous. But if you think in terms of a lifetime, in terms of, I mean, you're going to live 80, 90, uh, maybe 100 years, maybe even longer, uh, the, the fact that uh, you lose your job or you become, you get uh, an accident and then you have to stay home for, uh, I don't know, two months, it will have zero impact long term. If you think in terms of uh, 90 years, in terms of uh, 95 years, and this is the right perspective. Uh, you don't need to think in terms of centuries, which is irrational. You don't need to think in terms of days, which is irrelevant. Try to think in terms of a lifetime, and it will make uh, for you. It will make it very easy for you to make good decisions, because you will see yourself uh, in the next decade. Okay, I'm going to become then 40, and then 50, and then 60, and then 70, and I want to have uh, a path which is consistent, which is growing, which is making me happy. If you take this perspective, uh, you will become more rational automatically and you will make better decisions. And this is one of the uh, lines, the main lines of thought I underline in my books. Try to think in terms of a lifetime and you will improve your life uh, substantially. Well, John, well, that is absolutely incredible. And I, I really thank you for taking the time out of your day to sort of come on the show and uh, speak with me about these sort of things. Um, you've just in this podcast alone, you've given out such a great amount of historical information and also just general life advice that it really backs up the, the fact that people need to go check out your books and things. And 
it's really good to have people like you in the world who are, as I say, just so well read and have a different perspective due to the sheer amount of history and knowledge and the passion that you have for all of this and that you want to turn it and help people with it. And and I just think that's incredible. So I just want to, you know, thank you not only for coming on the show, but also thank you for all that your work. And I hope that you continue to do it for decades to come. Many thanks, uh, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, John. I hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Okay, And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, guys. As I said in the intro, John Vespasian's uh, site, as well as a link to his book on the UK Amazon, are in the description, and the book is available everywhere, so be sure to check that out. Coming up, um, I've got two chats recorded with some very interesting individuals. Uh, I spoke about one a couple of weeks ago or last week, which is Tracy Maxfield. Um, she is, well, she's another author and she's, her whole thing is about basically mental health in schools, especially and bullying and that sort of thing. So that's one of the episodes that's going to be coming out uh, in the next few weeks. Um, I've also got a chat, which is a longer chat. It's going to be another two-parter um, with Maxwell Ivy. He's also known as the blind blogger. He's a gentleman who lost his sight um, where he started to lose his sight around the age of 12 I think by the age of 20 he basically completely lost his sight by like a very small amount um, and it's sort of he talks about what happened to him uh, what his life was like before and after and things but it's actually it sounds like quite a dour chat but he's actually he's such a nice and funny guy he actually is he's really optimistic and things which obviously one would assume if someone who's been dealt with that kind of cards in life sort of that you'd have to do that to get through it but it's quite interesting where the other individual who I've had on the podcast called Goff of Beer Nuts Productions who's been on the show twice who's also a blind individual both him and Maxwell both are just so inspiring uh, not just in a sense of you know they've got through a lot and that sort of stuff but just talking to them they're so fun and seemingly easygoing and just really funny people as well that it's inspirational in the way that you wouldn't necessarily expect so i may be releasing that one next week i'm not 100 sure i haven't really decided yet as i normally don't really decide these things until the saturday before so we'll see which one of those two comes out um i've got a few more recordings in the works um at the end of february um i've actually got megan's away for like five days um so i've got three different podcasts recorded um one of them i can talk about because he will probably want me to which is goff of beer nuts productions funnily enough um he's got another film coming out so he's coming back for another chat um which it's always great to chat with goff as well um and the other two one of them's with a podcast that i always talk about on social media and i'm always sort of uh, hyping up so i'm gonna hopefully have the guys from that on there um that's enough of a hint you may be able to get it but you may not um so i can't wait to speak with those guys and then i've got another gentleman who's coming on who's just someone who's like a professional someone who's really interesting and talking about cyber security and things so i'm quite interested in that sort of realm as well so quite a nice variety of things coming up um i think i've got another podcast recording soon but fortunately the ones i've got at present are enough to last me until that february weekend so it might be the maxwell and the tracy ones coming on after this episode in the coming weeks maybe the only ones uh, before the three that i'm recording but i don't know i'm trying not to record or even uh, plan too far ahead because i end up shooting myself in the foot when doing that so that's kind of what you got coming up um as well i've still got that thing that i can't fully talk about i kind of can uh, it's going to be to do with uh comics in motion um 
so I'm going to be doing something with them that's really cool and exciting. Uh, once I've figured out more information about it and spoken with uh, Chris and Dave about it a bit more, then there'll be more information on that. I'm also due, I think there's two other podcasts who are, want me to go on their shows and speak to them, but we haven't quite got a date for those yet, so that'll be a thing, um, as well as there's lots of other things in the pipeline and stuff. So, you know, I still want to get Reese on the podcast again at some point soon, so I don't know when I'm going to do that. I don't know. There's a lot of things that, you know, there's a lot of people I know who are very, very interesting, far more interesting than I am, who I want to have on the show, and lots of other people who have been contacting me or want to chat with me as well. So all I can say is thanks to everyone listening, especially you, you beautiful person. And if there's more than one of you listening at once in a car or something, then you're all beautiful people, even if you're being forced to listen to this by someone else, in which case, sorry, <laughs> it's almost over. Um, I've, I will say what I always say, basically, I'm on the usual social media channels, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter, I share a lot of other people's stuff. Facebook is mainly just the uh, posts about new episodes and the uh, film reviews I occasionally do. Uh, and then Instagram is basically everything. It's got snippets from episodes, sometimes photos that go along with it. Uh, I've got film reviews, uh, stuff that I generally do. I try and occasionally do T-shirt Tuesday, which is more just me taking a photo of a T-shirt I really like and posting about it. So I occasionally do that. I've managed to do it twice in a row now. Uh, I used to do it quite a lot last year, but it's just when life gets busy, it's harder to do that. I've seen quite a few films recently that I need to write reviews for, as well as TV series. Obviously, The Good Place finished recently as well, so I need to get off my ass and write a review about that. So there's lots of things I need to do. I just don't have enough time in the day to do most of them. So, you know, that's what's going on with me, uh, social media-wise. And I also appreciate anyone reviewing the show. You know, there's iTunes. I think Google Podcast has got um, reviews on that as well. I think Stitcher does as well. Um, Even Facebook, you know. Anyone who who likes my show, if you write a review, I will really, really appreciate it. If you don't want to write a review for any reason, that's fine. If you do share this either via word of mouth or on social media or anything like that, it really, really means a lot to me because I don't spend any money on ads because that stuff is expensive and doesn't seem to really do anything because I have tried that before. But anyway, I'm going to stop rambling. Um, Thanks to each and every one of you for listening. I do really, really appreciate it. And I'm going to go now because it's a Sunday night and I'm quite hungry for dinner. So uh, I'll talk to all you guys next week.